You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. For the next hour, you're listening to the Classic Auto Mall show and podcast. Broadcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Classic Auto Mall is a world-class facility conveniently located just an hour west of Philadelphia and houses 600 classic cars for sale and 300 barn finds on display. Be sure to check out more at ClassicAutoMall.com. Now on to the show with our host, President of Classic Auto Mall, Stuart Howden. And good morning. Boy, we're having some technical difficulties. We're not, we're not used to doing this on a Friday. Right. You've thrown me off my game. Don't Today, touch the microphones. Don't touch the microphones or the stands because we're going to tear up something. We're doing this on Friday at 11 o'clock. I don't know if I'm hungry for lunch or I've missed breakfast or whatever. I, I think I like being tired when we do this. I think we should do it at like 6.30 in the morning. Oh, really? So I'm a little foggy. Okay. Then I may be more entertaining or something. Anyway, good morning to all listeners. Uh, what a great week here at Classic Automobile. We have been so busy. Of course, there's nothing but rain, so the consignment business, when it rains, it's funny. The weather dictates consignments. People don't bring their cars in when it's raining or snowing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't affect sales because right. most of the guys are in you know sunny Arizona or Florida or wherever, and uh, it doesn't affect them. So, uh, But when it rains, it doesn't pour here. It, when it rains, we don't get anything. Mm. So, uh, But had a good week of sales. Um of course, this is one day light since we're doing Friday, so we'll we'll we have one day less of sales data to to report. But where did we sell cars this week? How about Fleetwood, Pennsylvania? So it didn't go very far. Right down the street, Birdsboro, Pennsylvania, Stowe, Pennsylvania, Nanjamoy, Maryland, Robisonia, Pennsylvania, Brighton, Michigan, Merrill, New York, Antioch, Tennessee, Penn Argyle, Pennsylvania, Blackwood, New Jersey, Murray, Utah, Wexford, Pennsylvania, and Reinholds, Pennsylvania. Mm. So a lot of Pennsylvania cars mm-hmm. this week, and last week it was all everywhere it was all over the world new mexico and france and Mm -hmm. all these different places but you know probably um this time of year is when we really see a pickup of uh cars for sale and and cars selling because it's cruise season it's car show season it's the weather is better in more parts of the country but you know the old thing of in the old days you could only sell a convertible in the spring and a and a four-wheel drive pickup in the fall is long long gone because it's fall and spring somewhere in the world all the time Mm -hmm. so you know it doesn't it doesn't happen like that I, i so many people still say to me they go i don't really want to bring my convertible out because you know it's getting to the end of summer and i go we don't we're, we're equal opportunity selling of convertibles it doesn't it doesn't really make any difference always so, sunny in california it's, and florida always for right. some reason well not always but <laughs> they do get a little snow from time mm-hmm. to time but uh we um we're still in the process of moving out uh some of my partner's barn finds and it's kind of sad to see them go you know these cars have been with us since day one we've got uh we had about 400 barn finds in the building on display display only, not for sale. And then over the past couple of years, we've been starting to sell a few off here and there, and we're starting to run out of room a little bit. So believe it or not, mm-hmm. eight acres under roof, right. which is, you know, you would think would be plenty of room to do just about anything you want, but apparently it's not. Uh, and so we're taking some of the barn finds away. 66 of them have left the building so far. We've got 24 left to go for 
phase one of this. If somebody buys that Batmobile, that'll free up three spaces. For <laughs> that thing is so long. But you know, it's, uh, it's funny that, uh, um, you know, we, we have all these old cars here and we think, well, people don't miss them, but people are asking about them mm-hmm. and people ask about a particular barn fund, uh, that was here. We had a, a Vim Huckster truck that's going to the Boyertown Museum. We, great. Yeah. So, which is a Pennsylvania built vehicle and they, well, that's if, they if you go thing. back to the show with, uh, yeah. With the, uh, the curator. Kendra. Kendra, thank yeah. you. You guys talked about that. Yes, we did. Interesting. A deal, a deal has a, been done. A deal has been struck. And that was two years ago. She yeah. was one of our first guests right. that we had on the show. Wow. And we, a deal has been struck. And I'm now officially on the board of directors oh, at the right. Boyertown Museum, too. So I wasn't allowed to vote on the purchase of it, though. <laughs> apparently, apparently that was some kind of conflict. So sure. I get it. Now I'm in charge of the marketing committee there. And I've got to have two meetings with people. And mm-hmm. we've got to brainstorm marketing ideas uh, for the Boyertown Museum. And, of course, uh, as our our guest that's coming up today will know museums are tough. It is way harder to market a museum than just about anything else in the world. Um, it's because the perception of museums is that so many museums that we've all visited in our early years in life were dusty and dirty and dimly lit and, you know, there just wasn't much to them. A bunch of Model A and Model T Fords all in a mm. row. Now museums are interactive. They've got all kinds of cool things, and we'll get into that uh, uh, with our guest here coming up in just a minute. But uh, but it's a different world for museums. But a lot of these museums are in obscure areas, like the Boyertown Museum in Boyertown. I mean, point Boyertown out on a map. Mm-hmm. I can't do it, and I live 40 <laughs> minutes from here. Imagine somebody who doesn't live in the area or is not from the area to try to know where that is, not realizing that it's, you know, very close to Philadelphia or some of the major metropolitan areas. So that's, but that's the the bane of a lot of these collections that become museums is they end up in the hometown of the guy who collected the cars. Mm-hmm. And usually, you know, it's Warner Robbins, Georgia, or, you know, somewhere in Iowa and, uh, and, you know, not a touristy type area. Um, and so it makes it difficult. So marketing is is a difficult task. And you, you always wonder in the museum world if you should market towards getting uh, admissions or you should work market getting donations mm-hmm. and, and donations of cars. And, and and whoever shows up, shows up. And, and you know, so anyway, we'll get into that a little bit <laughs> as, as well. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So some of the new inventory we got this week, um, some really cool stuff. Now, full disclosure, the first one is my car. It's the 1948 Packard Super Clipper 8 limousine. Another another large car. <laughs> it's a very large car. We'd like it to go because we need two car spaces <laughs> and it's in the way. Black over black and tan. Tan, uh, AACA um, uh, winner and a CCCA full classic, um, the Classic Car Club of America full classic, and that's mm-hmm. a that's a, a rare air designation. And and the the 46 Packards are probably the least expensive of the uh, full CCCA classics. They're probably the most affordable, I guess you could okay. say, uh, of the full classics. And this one is an older restoration, but lots of documentation that goes with it uh, and invoices and all that good stuff. And as we say and preach over and over and over again, save everything. Save every piece of paper, anything that comes with that car, any part you mm-hmm. take off of it. Do not get rid of it because, you know, one day that's going to create value. Don't we all know that there are Tons and tons and thousands and thousands of attics full of stuff 
you know, that, that needs to go with a car that will never be reunited with that car. Addicts, A-T-T-I-C-T-S. <laughs> not addicts. A-D-D-I-C-T-S. No, not the addicts right. that we are. Full of stuff. In this hobby. But think about it. There's, there's Thunderbird hardtops and Corvette mm. hardtops in, in, in yeah. attics and garages and basements. There's build sheets and there's, you know, documentation and everything that you could ever want to go with a car and it's sitting in a box and, it mm. will, you know, somebody's going to look through it 20 years from now and throw it out. And yep. it's just hard. Oh, just maybe we should go. We should create some kind of thing where we go to the local dumps and look for paper <laughs> on cars. But. Well, I'm offering that service where I'll, <laughs> I'll go and help people, you know, load their cars. Right. When they're bringing their consignment. And this re- most recent one in New Jersey. She, right. She had all kinds of her husband. She, you know, is a widow, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And there was a lot of stuff that he had. And she just threw it all in the car. And it was books and really the history of the car. Sure, really sure. And so important because, you know, if it's a if it's a well-known car, if it's a, a Duesenberg or something that's, you know, had provenance from the day it was born, a lot of those did have the, the information mm-hmm. kept with them. But so many of them did not. And so many of them are just missing. And people didn't think about it. You know, even the manufacturers in the 60, 50s and 60s, 60s and 70s didn't think about saving all the paperwork it didn't matter who cared you know and original motors didn't matter and and all of that so anyway um another new uh consignment we just got in the 1941 willie's 441 coupe with a blown keith black 426 hemi this thing is a beast the engine's not blown it has a blower on it it's got yeah yeah you know that that could confuse people i would think it's a blown engine it's blown is that is that a problem no it's blown dude uh-huh. Uh, with a turbo hydromatic 350 automatic, which seems like a pedestrian type mm-hmm. transmission for a car like that, but I'm sure it's built. Mm-hmm. This is a glass body. 20 years to build this thing. You know, you talk about putting your heart and soul in something. And that's, <laughs> that's almost more than that. I would almost imagine that's a divorce, but you yeah. know, but the, you know, you think about these guys that put their heart and soul in it. And that's one of the reasons that our, success of selling consi- cars on consignment here is is because the guy who built that does not want some guy to come to his house and and tell him things that are wrong with the mm. car that he built or yeah. tell him anything uh and so you know it's one of those things that that uh that's why people use our services because they don't want to be bothered with a lot of that and then they also don't want to be you know they don't want to get into a contest with a guy you know what kind of contest i'm talking about mm-hmm. uh talking about their car and why they did this and why they didn't do that and why did you paint it this color and why did you put this deal on it and so on and so forth. They don't want to deal with that. It's part of it's their pride and joy and they they have a hard time letting it go to begin with. And if a guy starts picking it apart, they're going to ask him to remove themselves from the property. So right. tire kickers we call them. Yeah, we get a few of those, but you know, hey, that's tire kickers become buyers sometimes. Sometimes too. you never know. Or critical when they come to your house. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I love the ones who email you who, you know, are just yelling at all capital letters mm-hmm. of how you got something wrong. So, you know, we're not perfect. So, uh, um, you know, and we have 905 cars in inventory as we speak. And so one guy writing the description. So give, give him a break if he misses. A <laughs> if he factoid. misses something, a little something. You know, I, we keep him in a dark room Apparently. by himself. No phones, no light, no computer. Just write, just write, <laughs> and just write it, and then we'll proof it afterwards because we don't want you to slow down. Because he writes. 20 or 30 descriptions every week. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, you go to the website, there's new stuff on there every day and yeah. he's written it all. It's and amazing. it's 7, 8, 10 paragraphs mm-hmm. and and uh, it's it's amazing. Peter Leach who does that for yep. us. Uh, we had him on the show uh, a couple of I guess a couple of months ago now and yep. you know, it's a it's an art certainly and and it requires a serious focus on what you're doing. I mean, it's easy to rewrite when you have, you know, when you're on your 
15th or 20th 57th Thunderbird. It's easy to, to, uh, uh, you know, add some information mm-hmm. and historical value and you just remember it. But then you get, you know, oddball stuff like a, you know, 1914 Rio or a 1927 Marmon, you know, just oddball stuff yeah. that, um, may or may not have any information out there. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, hats off to Peter. Another new, uh, consignment we got in a 48 Pontiac Streamliner 8 Silver Streak Station Wagon. That's a mouthful. Yep. Uh, Parma wine metallic and wood over saddle. It's steel ash and mahogany body. It's an amazing car. You know, you don't see the Pontiacs. I mean, you see the Chevys and the Fords from that era. More Fords than anything and, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, Mercury's, uh, and some of the Chrysler's as well too, but the Pontiacs are pretty rare. And this has got mostly original wood on it. So, uh, it's a pretty interesting car. Uh, 248, uh, inline eight. So it's got a little low-end torque and grunt to it, mm. and uh, just a really interesting car. Uh, and then a really neat car that we got in that's not uh, one of our most valuable cars, but it's a 61 Buick Skylark Coupe. And it's in this beautiful cadet blue and white over blue and white interior, and it's just a cool car. It's a beautiful little car. It really is. It it speaks to me for some reason. Mm. Uh, it's been in the same family since 1985, so. Yeah. Which doesn't sound long ago until you do the math. We were doing that a minute ago. <laughs> it was like, 80s seemed like yesterday, but <laughs> yeah. it was a long time ago. 1980 was only, what, 43 years ago? My 40th year <laughs> high school anniversary is coming. I'm like, what? Yeah, that can't possibly be. The uh, interesting thing about the Skylark, it's got the aluminum 215 cubic inch uh, fireball uh, V8 with a two-speed two turbine drive automatic transmission. Two-speed. Two-speed, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's one and then two, and then that's it. So uh, anyway, we got uh, more that we won't get to today, but we'll talk about <laughs> next week. Um, uh, we want to, uh, when we come back, we're going to welcome our special guest uh, in the studio um, who have got something special to talk to us about coming up in, uh, at their museum in uh, Hershey. Jeff Bleemeister, the uh, executive director of the AAC, or, yeah, the AACA Museum, and uh, joining us via Zoom will be Mark Lieberman, who's a Tucker expert, and and uh, the AACA Museum has a Tucker exhibit coming up here uh, in the next couple of weeks, I guess. Now, well, this will air on the whenever it will be. Uh, today is the fifth we're recording, so air on about the twelfth of May. So in about three or four weeks, I believe, in June, is that right? That it's coming up. So anyway, when we return, we'll uh, speak to Jeff and Mark and uh, learn a lot more about Tucker's. Talk to you in a minute. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, and uh, have a special guest. We have two special guests with us today, one in studio, uh, who's been on the show quite a while back with us, Jeff Bleemeister, who's the executive director of the uh, AACA Museum in Hershey, and Mark Lieberman, uh, I, for lack of a better terminology, Mark, you're the Tucker whiz expert guru, is that Fair? I mean, I do see a bunch of Tuckers behind you in a picture, so that uh, certainly says something well, about it, right? Yeah, I'm sitting here in the plant today. So it'll... <laughs> it really looks like you're in the plant. See, I'm, I'm going to have to do the same thing with my Cobra picture behind us. I'm going to have to make it look more like I'm in it. And uh, right. But right. That, yeah, at first when I saw that, I'm like, where is he? Is he in some fact? And you are in Michigan, so it's not, it's not out of the realm that you couldn't be in a factory somewhere, correct? Right. You know, we, uh, uh, Jeff and I, Jeff, I had him on the show, oh, like I said, probably one of our first shows, probably a year and a half or so ago, Jeff, and, uh, uh, talking about the AACA Museum and all the wonderful things that you do. And, uh, it still continues just to grow and grow and grow. You guys are, are a success story in the museum world that not many people enjoy. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you see it that way. We, we, we agree. You know, we're, we rebuilt, we bonded our, we re-advertised or branded ourselves last year as America's transportation experience. And right. 2023 is an important year for us for many reasons. It's our 20th anniversary as a public museum. Wow. Which is fantastic. And we have a whole series of, of, of events planned for the year. But it's also the 75th anniversary of the launch of the Tucker 48, the Tucker automobile, which is an iconic part of automotive history. And that's where Mark's going to uh, come into this program today. You know, the museum sure. has the largest collection of Tucker automobiles and automobilia in one spot in the whole right. world. Isn't it amazing how those were salvaged and saved? And, you know, we didn't know about collectability of cars back in, in the 40s. My goodness, nobody was thinking about no, that. No, every one of those vehicles is accounted for. Wow. And most of them still exist, as Mark will tell you. Right, right, right. And and the reason that the AACA Museum kind of has a Tucker influence, is it by happenstance or did it was it designed or how did that come about? Uh, years ago, before we actually built the museum, one of our, our founders, Bill Smith, AACA Executive Director right. at the time, had a, developed a relationship with, with uh, Mr. Kamek of Virginia, the Kamek family. He had, he had collected three of the vehicles plus the blueprints, test engines, chassis, all wow. kinds of things. And their family put an addition on the building to house these things. Right. And when he passed away several years ago, the collection came to us. That's fantastic. And we've added more. You know, Mark is with us because Mark was the president of the Tucker Club of America. Right, right. Back the Tucker Automobile Club of America. And they merged with us. And now Mark is our senior Tucker advisor as well as a board member of the ACA Museum. Oh, fantastic. I didn't realize that was a mer- that happened. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, uh, they were t- taken in as part of our umbrella. And uh, they're part of the ACA Museum. And we are now the center of the Tucker universe. And we have people <laughs> like Mark to, to help further the Tucker cause. And uh, our anniversary event is coming up in mid-June. And, and Mark's here to talk about the... Just the wonderful program we have put together for the public to celebrate yeah. these iconic cars. I mean, it's not just, you know, there's there's a lot of things, and you can have a car on display, but you guys have done much more than this, Mark, for this event coming up. I mean, it's going to be immersive Tuckerville, right? It will. Um, we've got, uh, uh, well, there'll be 10 cars on display. Uh, so you not only are you going to have an opportunity to see the very first uh, Tucker production car, the first Tucker 48 on there, car number one, but you're also going to be able to see Tucker number 50, the final car off the assembly line, right. and then several in between. Sure. Uh, the variations, uh, you'll be able to observe the uh, uh, the people that are going to be out here taking a, a look at these cars will really get a chance firsthand to see what went on over that very short period of time, roughly eight months 
that they were building these cars and all the changes that took place. Sure. And and for for those that don't know, I mean, there's rarity in the fact that they only build a few, but these things were technological marvels of the time. I mean, what's made a Tucker so special that they command the prices that they command nowadays? Well, you know, it's really quite remarkable. If you take a look at what uh, Preston Tucker and Alex Tremulus and the design staff put together uh, in these automobiles, you see some very unique features that carry forward to today. So, for example, you have the first padded dashboard. You have four-wheel independent suspension, rear aluminum engine, um, a four-speed electronic pre-select transmission. Very, very unique system that they actually got the ideas from from the cord, um, where you select a gear and it doesn't do anything until you touch the clutch, right. and then it shifts for you. Um, you've also got uh, doors that are open into the roof line for easy entrance and exit. Uh, interchangeable seats. You can swap front to rear. Uh, in order to even the wear on seats. <laughs> That's so, brilliant. It's really brilliant. some wild stuff. Um, you also have, you know, he paid a lot of attention to safety, and so you've got uh, uh, pop-out safety windshields right. in these, which you didn't see uh, in other cars of the time. Uh, and then extraordinary performance. Here is an almost 19-foot-long car that was capable of doing 130 miles an hour. Wow. This is a four-door sedan in 1948 that would outrun just about every car on the road. Right. Well, and a padded, da- you know, you mentioned the padded dash, and people think, well, what's so special about that? That was a real safety thing, though, because you had metal dashes before, and you hit that face first. Uh, you you wouldn't mind to have a little padding in there, right? Uh, very true. Very what, true. And, and tell me about the cord transmission. Was that an idea that they took from cord, or was it an actual transmission that cord built, or how did that all come about? Well, I'll walk you into this. Actually, you know, originally Preston Tucker, Preston Tucker envisioned having uh, the car propelled without a transmission. Uh, his first design was actually with a 589 cubic inch flat six <laughs> that had hydrostatic drive. So you had no transmission. Right. You had two torque converters on a transversely mounted engine that would uh, propel the car. Now, uh, that was... Um, impractical, and they didn't have the time in order to fully sort that out. So uh, in in their dash to get the car to market, uh, they ended up using a 335 cubic inch engine that they adopted from an aviation application. It right. actually powered helicopters. And then they uh, mated that to the cord uh, pre-select transmission. So uh, the idea here was that he wanted to have um, a four-speed transmission that would uh, be versatile enough so it would fit compactly in the area that it needed to, but moreover, uh, give the driver a unique driving experience. If you take a look at the uh, uh, passenger compartment, you'll see that it's uh, largely devoid of objects would, that would protrude uh, at the passenger and cause injury right. in the event of an accident. Sure. So in this instance, you have a small stalk that comes off the steering column that allows you with a little... Uh, lollipop lever to select each gear. <laughs> sure. And, uh, uh, there's, there's, there, it's a very efficient range of motion to choose gears. Sure. We like efficient ranges of motion, but how yeah. are Tuckers to drive? Are they great to drive? Are they cumbersome? What do they feel like today? <laughs> okay. So, so, uh, uh, a Tucker that is set up correctly, um, and, and sorted out is an amazing vehicle to drive. I would, uh, I would liken it to, a giant 356 Porsche on steroids. <laughs> what a great analogy. Yes. I like that uh, a lot. It is, 
a very light front end, super easy to steer. Uh, the suspension is torsolastic tubes or a, or a torsolastic slab. So right. it's rubber suspension. There are no springs. Wow. And so it gives you a very unique riding experience. Sure, sure. And, and I read, I was reading, I'm, I'm learning more and more about Tuckers in the past couple of days, just kind of preparing for this. And one of the unique features about a Tucker, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the engine could be removed in a very short period of time if you needed to service it. And actually the idea was that they could replace the motor while they were sorting out your motor and then you'd come back in and do the whole thing in reverse. That was the idea. They they wanted to have um, a very quickly replaceable drivetrain. So you brought your vehicle in for for major service on the engine. They would give you a loaner engine instead <laughs> of a loaner car. I love and, it. Uh, and you would drive away until your engine was serviced and put it back in. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean, who who to thunk, right? But you know, I mean, interestingly. Uh, the Tucker wasn't killed because it was a, a poor car, right? I mean, the Tucker didn't survive because the 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 big three didn't want it to survive, right? I mean, is that ultimately well, what it was, or that, that that's certainly that that's certainly the way the movie portrayed, right? It. Okay, <laughs> but it, but it's not so much the reality of the way it was. I mean, there was a combination of factors that were that were kind of working against him at the time. He was undercapitalized, even though uh, that they managed to raise to to raise. With the IPO, uh, twenty-six million dollars. That was not enough to launch a new sure. car company, and sure. and the Tucker Corporation suffered under a number of things. One, um, it was politically unpopular with uh, the the Senator Ferguson in Michigan, who thought that they were going to encroach upon the car companies. Right. But right. for the most part, the car the car companies were certainly aware of them, but really weren't that threatened. In fact. Ford was selling him parts and steering wheels and uh, Hudson was selling him parts and Kaiser was selling him parts. So if they really felt that he was, that they wanted to run him out of business, they wouldn't be supporting him. Right. Exactly. Uh, So, so, so I, I don't think that it was so much that the car companies wanted to run him out of business as much as it was a problem with undercapitalization, the problem with the press, uh, creating this, this, uh, uh, issue um, of of no confidence from the public because of the investigation, which turned out to be uh, unsubstantiated, and he and his management team were acquitted of all charges. But when the SEC came down upon him uh, at that period of time, and the story broke on the news before he was even but before he was even aware that it was happening. It was pretty much a, a, a political and news hit job. Sure, sure. I mean, you would think that such a great car like that would have been, you know, somebody would have said, hey, we'll just take all that and start building it under our name or our man. You know, Ford might take it or Chrysler or somebody else would have taken the car. But I guess there just wasn't enough there for anybody to take, right? Well, here's the challenge. Um, it would have cost them an enormous amount of money to make the changes in their product line to incorporate the things in place that Tucker had. Right. And that type of investment was deemed unnecessary at the time since Tucker was off the table, so to speak. Sure. <laughs> but they did go forward with adopting several of the things that were in place that he utilized. Now, keep in mind, too, that since Tucker was produced for such a short period of time, they really didn't have an opportunity to sort these things out fully. Right. If he had the opportunity to do so, then it certainly would have advanced much better. 
Another thing that you've got to keep in mind with this, too, is that this wasn't a little operation. He had 250 full-time engineers, more than Packard at the time. Wow. So, so there was a big effort that went on to making these cars and making them right. Sure. Well, and we all know the story of concept cars, but by the time the accountants get a hold of it, they're they're not going to allow them to do this and do that. And all the cool stuff you see in a concept car goes right out the window because the accountant says, you know, we can't make the transmission shifter on the roof and we can't do this, that or the other. And so but, you know, the allure of the Tucker continues. I mean, forget the movie. I mean, it, it I think it was it was already well cemented before the movie and has continued even now. And the movie is ancient history in a lot of respects. Very true. Uh, You know, the interesting thing about it was is that the movie was this wonderful springboard to bring forward the awareness of the car because so many people had never heard of it. Sure. But the mainstream movie, which was not a box office success, became much more popular years later. And now whenever you have an opportunity to see a Tucker at a car show or something, it really commands a lot of attention. In fact, uh, the Tucker Automobile has become the most valuable post-war sedan in the world. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. You know, And, of course, I imagine that it's very popular at the museum, Jeb. I mean, one of the most popular exhibits you have there? Oh, it's one of the focus. People travel from all over the country and the world to see it, and that's why we're hosting this big event in June on the 16th and 17th. Yeah. We'll, have, we'll have more Tuckers present than since I think the largest gathering was during the filming of the movie itself. And sure. We're going to come close to matching that. And if people want more information, they can go to your website, which is what? Tell us the website so that our listeners can get to that. AACAMuseum.org. Yeah, how easy is that? When we return, I'm sure we'll delve more into – I've got more questions. I, like I said, I've done my research and homework, guys. So uh, I've got some questions maybe I can trip you up on. Doubt it, but uh, I'll try. Anyway, when we return with the Classic Auto Mall podcast here in just a minute. Talk to you soon. It's a museum. It's a showroom. It's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall Studios, where we've got Jeff Bleemeister from the AACA Museum here in the studio with us, and Mark Lieberman in uh, in a Tucker factory in Michigan. It's a undisclosed uh, location. We can't give out the address. We don't want people storming the uh, gates of the new Tucker. It looks like you're sitting in the factory. I love that. That's the idea. I'm coming yeah. to you from the factory. <laughs> I love that. Who's the guy on your over your right shoulder there? Do you know any of these guys? Or any of these guys met or still around? 
Uh, no, unfortunately, uh, I, I think that they all died of lead poisoning. But <laughs> the guys here working on the body. Yeah, the uh, the OSHA rules weren't quite the same back in uh, the late forties. Little, just a little bit different. You talk about the Tucker movie, and uh, you know the interesting thing. Uh, Jeff Bridges starred in it, um, and I guess at one point in time, Marlon Brando was going to be the lead for the movie, which is really interesting. I read that, I that. Uh, uh, somewhere today, and of course, you know, it was uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, directed it and uh, George Lucas convinced him to do it and became the executive director because I think I think Coppola was out of money at this point in time in the 70s when he was thinking about doing this movie or, or I guess 88 when it came out is that right was that when I read that is the time frame yeah. and uh, how what's your take on the movie I know well, you get you know, it, it, it's it, it's it's a I would say it's Hollywood's version of the Tucker story. Sure. And if you ask, and if you ask the Tucker family, uh, John Tucker, who is uh, Preston Tucker's grandson, uh, uh, he he says that it's the story according to Vera, which was Preston's wife. Right. So, <laughs> so, so there are definitely some some liberties that were taken. In fact, one of the things that we're doing at this 75th anniversary of uh, of the Tucker 48 at the AACA Museum is that we're doing a screening of the movie. And before we're talking about to the audience uh, the things to watch for that uh, are difference between the movie and reality. And right. then afterwards, we're going to do a question and answer session so people can really get connected between what it took to make the movie, uh, some of the differences between the movie and reality, and then uh, how that movie was actually made during that period of time with all with 22 Tucker automobiles. Sure. Did Vera live long enough to see the movie and, and beyond or no? Um, uh, let me recall. You know, quite honestly, I don't remember when she passed. Right. And, and I think it was around that time frame because she did cons- have have discussions about the movie. But I don't remember uh, specifically the year that she passed. Sure. Well, and apparently, I guess Coppola had thought about this movie for his entire life. As a kid, he had thought about it. His father, I guess, was one of the original investors in Tucker and, and actually yep. bought one of the cars off the production line. Well, you know, he, he had an, a, uh, a stock that he had purchased and he had intended on buying a car, but I don't believe that he ever was able to take delivery of that car. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, I can't imagine. Was there a, was there a, a pinup demand for this thing? I mean, did they have a hard time selling or did they sell right away? No, they had a huge demand for this thing. In fact, this is one of the problems that uh, Tucker ran into. Um, and you can do a comparison between this and, and Tesla, for example. Sure. Because as Preston was initially promoting his cars, he was taking orders for cars that were to be built, of course. Well, the government didn't like that. So they decided they were going to prohibit Tucker from taking orders for cars that were not built yet. But he still needed to generate capital to continue to fund the company. So they got rather creative and they developed an accessory program. So you could purchase luggage, um, uh, ashtray, uh, heater, um, seat covers, and radio. And by purchasing this accessory package, it would put you in line to get an automobile. And, and so he generated money by selling, by selling the accessories and getting people positioned to receive a car. Sure. Well, it sounds like Carol Shelby all over. I mean, Shelby was selling cars before he even 
be even earlier than this probably at some point in time. So it, I guess opened the way for him. You know, it sounded like the, the, the deck was just stacked against Tucker from day one. The money, the, the press, the, the government, everybody. It seems like everybody was against this guy. It was it, it was a def, a very difficult road for him to travel, and and made it what made it even twice as difficult is Preston was the consummate showman. Right, he always wanted to be out there touting all the things that were in his vision that were going to happen, and this kind of created some difficulties for him in that he tend to overpromise because he uh, his vision was so strong and his desire to make this happen was so strong he didn't necessarily contemplate all the obstacles that were going to prevent him from hitting these timelines. And so when he would say, we're going to be producing a thousand cars a day by this particular date, and it didn't happen, people would say, ah, well, you know, what's really going on here? Sure. What uh, crystal ball looking, if, if they'd have been funded properly and they hadn't had all these problems, would Tucker be here today? Oh, without a doubt. Um, and, and interestingly enough, I think that we would see some uh, innovation that would have occurred earlier in the life cycle of the development of the automobile industry than where it was. Because Preston and his team were not so much constrained about just keeping the status quo. They really wanted to shake things up and change things. And the automotive industry at the time, while they did want to innovate and they spent a lot of money doing so, they were much more at a paced rate that right. uh, they wanted. They, they were actually developing things that they were planning on announcing and incorporating the cars five, six, seven, ten years from now, where Tucker wanted it to be five, six, seven months from now. Sure. In fact, they were actually making changes and improvements on the line um, as these cars, these 50 automobiles were built. They made it, they made changes in the engine configuration. They made changes in suspension. They made, they even make change the wheelbase at car number 26. Wow. So things were occurring and changing in real time as they were building these cars. And, and is, is the first one better than the last one or the last one better than the first one? Or what's the, the argument with that or the, the consensus on that? They're different. <laughs> so, wow, okay. I like that. I, I wouldn't say better or worse because, you know, they really didn't have an opportunity to fully sort these things out. So while, you know, the early suspension being different than the late suspension, um, each one had certain drawbacks and certain positives. But the whole thing of it was was that you had a completely unique and innovative driving experience and the the experience of operating this automobile and taking it someplace was different than any other car in 1948. Sure. And at the at the museum coming up with this uh, event in June, uh, you're going to have one of the first ones, I guess the first one, right, Jeff? I think it was prototype. Yeah. Museum, and correct. then the, almost the last one, 1050, right? right. So. Mark knows all the numbers, all the lists. We're going to have a great <laughs> array of cars, and it's an opportunity to see something you'll never see anywhere else. Absolutely, absolutely. And is there? And the movie will screen off premise at a movie theater. We're right? having at the historic Allen Theater. Oh, in, how cool is Allen, that? Yeah, right in uh, Anvil, right next door. And do uh, you know? Do people in uh, Hershey appreciate and understand what Tucker is? Do they know from a standpoint, or is this mostly enthusiasts that are from all over the world? I think it's from all over. Yeah, yeah. I, I really do too. I yeah. mean, I think that it's funny people don't always realize what's right in their backyard. You know. 
We're trying to change that every we, day. Yeah, same with us. I mean, I get a guy who lives over the mountain who says, y'all have cars down there? <laughs> it's a like couple. a few. We have a, a few here and there. What? Uh, so tell us the dates of, of the event as well, too. Well, uh, I have a whole schedule here I'm going to show yeah. you. I'm going to give okay. you your own personal invitation. Oh, cool. It's, I like uh, this. It's uh, June 16th and 17th. Yep. Starts off with a movie screening, and we have, and we have a, a whole bunch of neat things going on. We com- it uh, also coincides with our, our Father's Day car show on the seventh on the seventeenth, right? Which is at the museum with the Tucker cars being inside for the most part. It's going to be just a fantastic weekend sure. to be a part of the museum. And I imagine the the anticipation of this, uh, Tucker aficionados and just car aficionados in general, are really excited about that. You've got to be getting calls every day, right? We are, we are, and we're excited. Hopefully, we'll still get a few more cars. I know Marcus are diligently working on lining up things right to the very end. So, Is there cars that are – I guess there's cars – are all of the cars publicly available to be seen in the world, or are there a lot of them hidden away? A lot of them are hidden away in private collections. Many of them haven't been seen in a long time. Um, but uh, on the other hand, there are still quite a few of them that are in uh, public museums that can be seen and enjoyed. Um, there is um, uh, quite a few of them that are that haven't been serviced and, and are not operational uh, currently. But we're seeing that change as, as I get quite a few of them through our facility to be uh, to be restored. Uh, we're working on four cars right now. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, and and we're we're waking these cars up and 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 making them ready for 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 use and touring and for people to see and hear and and enjoy. We we are the only people in the world that manufacture parts for these cars and uh uh go ahead and and and, and put a variety of things uh uh to back in operation on these vehicles where they've sat stagnant for many years. Sure. And is a lot of that 3D printing stuff or is it just, is it casting or how is that done? How are you making these parts? Well, everything, uh, everything in between. So for example, we cast new cylinder heads and cylinder banks. Um, we uh, manufacture the suspensions here. And like I said, that's rubber torso elastic. Uh, and, um, and then so the idea here is that we've, we've involved a very important team to make this work really well, including the Tucker family, sure. uh, the Tucker great grandchildren, um, uh, Mike and Sean Tucker, um, and and Rob Ida, um, we have kind of created the the Tucker dream team here sure. to <laughs> be able to 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 use technology, uh, high levels of skill, and and lots of knowledge to be able to put these cars back together and keep them operational. Sure. In fact, with access to the archives, we have. Full access to all of the blueprints where these vehicles are uh, were originally designed with, and in that vein, uh, we're able to be absolutely certain about the parts that we're manufacturing to go back on these cars. And the archives are where they are at the museum. Wow! So they've got you've got that just right there at your fingertips. Correct. So torsolastic. I keep nodding like I know what the hell you're talking about. What, what is that name? I've never heard of that. So the torsoelastic suspension is uh, a rubber tube. So you have two steel tubes that are encompassed by rubber that use uh, that basically work as a rubber torsion bar right. instead of a steel spring, and that's how the car is suspended. Wow, isn't that crazy? And of course, I guess nobody's using that today, right? That's not anything. No, that's... it is used today. Really, it's used primarily on trailers instead of automobiles. Although there is an automobile that does use torsoelastic suspension that you will be familiar with. 
the Messerschmitt. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, my listeners, if they're not, uh, Messerschmitt is a really cool old car. It's uh, uh, German built, right? And uh, yep. uh, made by, I guess, the company that manufactured the Messerschmitt airplanes back in the day, correct? There you go. When Messerschmitt was, has been long gone, like a lot of these. And it's such a shame that some of the companies that are long gone, Packard and Messerschmitt and Tucker and all that. Has there ever been an attempt to make a new Tucker? Is that ever? There been? is. And, and I mentioned Rob Ida uh, a moment ago, and he has produced um, a uh, recreation Tucker. Uh, I think he's done four of them now. Uh, and uh, uh, he powers them by... Um, twin turbocharged North Star. <laughs> oh, nice! And it makes right. It makes for quite a machine. Sure. Um, but but yes, there have been some attempts at reproductions over the years. There are some continuations out there where people have used some Tucker parts and built cars that were uh, not produced at the factory. Sure. Uh, but for the most part, there's just this enormous enthusiasm about preserving the Tucker history and appreciating what these cars are and what they meant to uh, uh, the automotive industry as a whole. Fantastic. When we return, we will continue our conversation with uh, Mark uh, on his Zoom in his factory in uh, Michigan and uh, Jeff Leemeister here in the studio with us on the Classic Automobile Podcast. We'll be back just a minute. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr, that's 888-268-4783, or visit jctaylor.com slash awr, drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Automall Podcast. Don't forget to go to our website, ClassicAutomall.com, and uh, check out all of our inventory and things coming up. And we've got uh, a lot going on right now. But, man, it sounds like, Jeff, at the museum, you guys with this Tucker thing. I mean, this is is this your most ambitious weekend event you've ever done? Uh, most definitely. Yeah. yeah. We've been planning this this small group led by Mark and a team at the museum have been planning this for several years now. We Last time they did anything big, I believe it was at Pebble Beach, and that was – Several years ago, I think it was for the 70s. So we wanted to capitalize and be the center of the Tucker universe for the 75th. Sure. Because of Mark's efforts and the team, we're going to be there. I mean, cars and artifacts and documents and just all – it's amazing the collection of stuff that you have there and that's been entrusted to you. Oh, it's really incredible. As Mark mentioned, we have all the factory blueprints. We have samples of pretty much everything. We have corporate re- records. It goes on and on. And it's sure. available to, to serious people who want to do research. Yeah. So if, if, if somebody wants to research something about a Tucker or, or other cars for that exam, for that uh, matter, uh, you all have the ability to do that for people, right? Well, and, for Tucker, we certainly do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing that, you know, I would imagine that there's still historians that are still writing books and, and, and discussing Tuckers to oh, this yeah. day. We get, we get calls for information and photographs, especially, interestingly, from, from artists and authors from other parts of the world. Europe 
Merp in particular. Sure, I mean, sure. Merp could tell you more, but they come from all over the place. Sure. There's a worldwide interest in this car. Well, and and I think that it will, you know, as long as you continue these efforts, I think it will continue, continue, continue. So I guess Coppola and uh, Lucas both owned two Tuckers each when they were making right. this movie or before the movie, and then then and, uh, Lucas sold one of them. Is that correct? You have that right. Oh, see, I'm I'm quite the researchist. Uh, nice job. <laughs> anytime, you know, it's uh, that's what I live for is trying to figure out how things that I can talk about. I always over prepare and under deliver, as they like to say. But uh, <laughs> so, I mean, the value of Tucker's today is phenomenal. I was doing some research on pricing and looking at what some have sold for, and you know, of course, there's been various auction houses that have sold them uh, over the years. But there's one in particular that I'm kind of curious about. And I hope it's not a sore subject, but there's a convertible out there for $3.5 million. What's the story uh, on that? Uh, you know, and I, I guess I, I should be cautious as to, as to how, how I respond to this. But uh, um, officially, the, the Tucker Club uh, does not recognize that as a right. free car. Um, I, in fact, I personally was there when the fellow started building this car. Right. And um, um, I can I can say that. We consider that car a continuation, and that it had uh, uh, it had not been uh, a part of any of the uh, uh, Tucker manufactured cars. Sure. So the last one that sold at auction was not that long ago, right? Didn't one sell at uh, RM or something here recently, or within the past year or two? It, yes, yes. The uh, RM has sold several. Um, there, uh, you know, I continue to, uh, to to sell the cars as well, but uh, I think the uh, record. Uh, was actually done at Barrett Jackson uh, in 2012. Uh, that car sold for 2.915, and that was one of the cars that I owned. I oh. didn't own it at the time. Darn, darn the luck. <laughs> right, right. That was one of the six cars that I've owned. Yeah, uh, you know, it, uh, Barrett is always amazing to all of us in the hobby. They they just they get these home run prices. Whether it was the Future Liner bus uh, that they sold or the Tucker, they always seem to to build the hype and the buzz on these cars uh, or, or special one offs or, or specialty type cars that were limited production or limited availability, and they do an amazing job of that. I mean, to get two point nine million dollars for one. Uh, and I love that I I saw back in the day that Cruz had sold one in '98 for three hundred fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, and it was it was a running and driving example. It wasn't a you know a parts car. You know, it was. Uh, but you know, '98 was uh, a different world. It, it, it was, and if you you know you go back and, uh, and certainly in the '70s and '80s, these cars were uh, were interesting old cars that had no mechanical support systems. Uh, in order to uh, to acquire parts or technology from, so the Tucker Club assembled in 1972, I think it was, and started to create their own network of being able to support these cars. And as a result, um, it built enthusiasm. In fact, at one point in time, I think the Tucker Club membership uh, was as high as eight or nine hundred. Wow. wow! Think about that. You've got. You, you've got 47 automobiles and, and, and 800 members to the club. Yeah, exactly. Now, are all, I guess all the owners are members. Is that an honorary lifetime membership if you own a Tucker? Um, and, and oddly enough, not all of them are members. Um, you know, there are a number that are uh, of, of museums that own them instead sure. of individuals. And certainly sure. a museum could be a member. Uh, but uh, um, the, the uh, Tucker community, Tucker owner community, um, is uh, is an interesting group, and some of them are very enthusiastic about the cars, 
and others are very private about the company. Sure. And so yeah, that makes so sense. You, you have you have a you you have a wide difference uh, of uh, of approach to celebrating these vehicles. Sure. And do you see any in the future that'll be on the market anytime soon that we know about, or is anything coming up at auction or or a private sale that uh, we know about that might be one available if somebody were so inclined to buy one? Well, generally speaking, I always have have one in my back pocket. Right. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, um, uh, there's nothing that's currently slated for auction. Right. So what what was the trigger that triggered you into becoming the Tucker guy? How did that what what happened? Well, somebody had to be right. Exactly. Uh, uh, so um, in in the in the early nineties, uh, ninety one or late ninety one, early ninety two, um, I got a phone call from a good friend of mine. Um, who parked his car for the winter storage. You know, here in Michigan, it gets cold and terrible and people <laughs> tend to store their cars away. Sure. And uh, uh, he used to park his, his Mustang in uh, uh, an old parking structure behind the State Theater in downtown Detroit. Um, and I got a phone call from him one day and he said, Mark, um, would you be interested in a Tucker, knowing that I'm a car guy? And, and I said, well, I'm always interested in a Tucker. What have you heard? He says, well, there's a car down here in the old parking structure that's owned by the guy that owns the parking structure, and uh, I think he'd be willing to sell it. And I said, no, there's not a Tucker down there. What are you talking? He said, no, I'm, I'm not kidding. There's one down here. So I hopped in my car and went down and looked at it. Lo and behold, back in this dusty, dark, dirty corner, here's a car parked in the corner that had sat since 1958 and was full right up to the door sills with garbage. Wow. I mean, they, you, they practically used it as a dumpster. Wow. Um, and, and I'm talking to the uh, owner of the facility and he says, says, yeah, I'm planning on restoring this one day. <laughs> I knew that there was no way that that was going to happen. Um, so I sat down and negotiated a deal with him, penned him a check and wouldn't leave until my flatbed got there. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> and we lo- we loaded the car up and I brought it home and that was um what would be a life-changing experience sure. because it, it led me to uh uh to to restoring that car to be the, the you know the first car that was actually researched and restored properly to a Concorde level. Um that was car number 6 and then after car number six, I just started going one after another after another, and I continue to this day uh, in uh, buying, uh, restoring, and selling uh, special uh, Tucker automobiles uh, and the uh, the parts to keep these things alive. Sure. And how do people find you if they're looking for something Tucker? Is there? Do you have a website that people can? A- go absolutely. To? NostalgicMotoringLimited.com. Uh, we buy, sell, and restore all types of interesting collecting automobiles. Uh, and uh, you'll find uh, uh, certainly links to all the special Tucker stuff there as well. Sure, sure. I guess there's a lot of information out there on Tuckers and out on the web and, and all of that. If you just Google it, I'm sure you can find lots of things. But it's like anything on the Internet, you know, what's what's accurate and what's not. And, and that's where the AACA Museum comes in because you can refute or dispute or tell people that that is true or not true on something, right? Yeah, we field questions almost daily about the Tucker question. Sure. And I imagine a lot of it is myth and legend and the movie based and, and all that stuff as well too. But I would imagine that also, you know, I guess people, if somebody's thinking of buying a Tucker, they obviously want to do their due diligence and, and call you guys and call you, uh, Mark and, and learn a little bit more before they dive in and buy something that maybe wasn't the right car. Indeed. 
Well, we're we're here to help, and uh, uh, we we have spent an enormous amount of time trying to understand these cars better uh, and make sure that uh, they're preserved for the generations ahead to appreciate like we do. Sure, sure. And you mentioned Rob Ida. He's an integral player in all of this, right? I mean, he's been involved with Tuckers for quite a while as well. Well, his grandfather had a dealership. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, and that's that, how it started. Wow. What, so that would have been, were the dealerships opened in 47 or were they, did they open when the first cars came out of the factory or they opened a little early? No, they started selling, they started selling dealerships in 47. And right. so uh, people bought franchises in the, in the anticipation of having cars to sell. And, uh, initially, uh, uh, Preston would send out certain cars to dealerships so they could display them and demonstrate them. And then early on, uh, well, I should say as that moved along a bit, uh, he was selling the de- the cars to the dealerships. And so a few cars got sold through the dealerships. Most of the cars got sold at the liquidation auction right. when uh, following the closure of the company. Right. How many dealers were there when they first started? Uh, there was over 2,000. <laughs> and, and we have some of those contracts. I've read some of them. It's, it's wow. a really interesting snapshot in history to, to review. Wow. Those. They, he, they was were a, serious. Yeah. They were serious about this. And he was a hell of a salesman, too, right? I mean, Preston Tucker, yes. to, to get 2,000 dealerships, that's got to be mighty impressive. So did any particular dealer sell like two or three, or was it, who was the winner in that? <laughs> I, I, I don't know that there was a, a, a winner in that. In fact, if you speak to any of the descendants of the dealer holders, I think that they would say that there were more losers. I would imagine it'd be interesting to know what was the. Do you remember what the franchise cost was back in back then, Jeff? Does there was there a number that there was in a there was some suggested number. I can't remember. Do you remember what it was, Mark? What what you needed in capital to incorporate? I think it was seventy. I think it was seventy five hundred dollars. Oh wow! Of course, that was a lot of money in nineteen forty seven. We're just out of a war, Um, you know. But of course, I mean, it was a good time to be in the car business. It had some things going for it to be starting then. I mean, that was the the start of an era of time that was as successful as we've ever seen in this country, from you know after the war until the through the fifties. It was. It was. It was a time of growing prosperity. People had a lot of hope. Uh, people wanted to uh, experience life. They had come through the war. Uh, they had uh, still fresh memories of of difficult times. And at this point, you know, the the economy was growing. Uh, there was a big push for for infrastructure and road building and highways and travel. Keep in mind, at that point in time. Motoring was an activity. Right. <laughs> you know, the idea of, of having freedom from from uh, uh, with your automobile was was you know something that was really treasured. You know now freedom to to kids today is their telephone. Right. Well, right. then freedom was your automobile, and so it was such an integral part part of your life that they marketed very specifically to people and certain groups. And the idea there was that you should find the right automobile that you connect with because this was your connection to the outside world. Sure, absolutely. Well, it sounds like, Mark, we could do this all day long, and you wouldn't be for a lack of any information. <laughs> uh, we really appreciate you being on. Jeff, tell us once again how people find out about this event and uh, and when the dates are and all that good stuff. If you search uh, Tucker 75th in, in the Internet, we'll come up, but go to our directly to our museum website, aacamuseum.org. 
Join us on the 16th and 17th of June for a once-in-a-lifetime celebration of everything Tucker. Yeah, I highly re- recommend everybody uh, participate in this and go see it because it's an amazing story, and uh, and we've learned a little bit about that today. And thanks so much to both of you guys for being here uh, in person and online. And go back to your factory job because I see you guys putting the bolt on the wrong place. I, I've got work to do back here with the factory, <laughs> but make, make sure that you get out and get online and buy your tickets yes. for this event because seating is limited. Absolutely. So it's it's yeah. well worth it. Absolutely, and don't want to miss it on, on the sellout. So anyway, thanks so much for listening today, folks, and uh, catch us again next week when we'll have another interesting guest or guests on the uh, Classic Auto Mall podcast. If you have any questions, podcast at classicautomall.com, and you can also visit our website, classicautomall.com, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. We appreciate you listening to our show, and don't forget to come visit us in person next time you're in southeastern Pennsylvania. Admission is free, and our hours are on our website, classicautomall.com. You can reach us by telephone at 888-227-0914 or via email at info at classicautomall.com. To reach the show, email us at podcast at classicautomall.com. Classic Auto Mall podcast is produced by CarSmarts Media with music by the Pat Travers Band. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.